Welcome, Nehemiah, to the World XP Podcast. This is episode number 10. Uh, we're su- I'm super excited to have you on. Definitely, we've, we've talked through soccer and, and some of our friendship before, and, and I know you've talked to, with me some, a little bit about, about your life and experiences over in, in Tanzania, but I'm um, super excited to have you on so you can share, share kind of your story with, with uh, all 20 people that are watching this. But, um, but I, think it'll be, I think it'll be good. <coughs> Um, I know in our conversations in the past, I've found it really helpful. It definitely uh, enhances my, like, obviously I've, I've been to South Africa and I've seen some, some things, obviously Tanzania is not the same as South Africa. Africa's 54 different countries. And so uh, it's important to make that distinction as well, but uh, it's important for, for me anyways, to get a, a, an understanding of the culture and, and your experiences over there to kind of make myself more well-rounded. So Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you, uh, you have reached out to me and talk about my experience. And uh, I, I really love what you're doing with the podcast. I think it's getting people educated on what's happening in the world. I think it's really dope. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I think um, a good way to get started, uh, I think probably would be just go through um, your kind of life, honestly, because there will be anecdotes in there that I think will help um, me and and the listeners to understand kind of the experience uh, as far as what it's like so as far as what it's like uh there so we were talking before so you are you're burundian correct yes Burundi, uh-huh. okay so but in your so where does the tanzania part fit in right because <coughs> if you're burundian you tell like I've, I've heard both so can you give can you give us some some background on kind of where where you were born and, and kind of how that connection plays out yeah, so um, I was born in Tanzania, um, but I'll, I'll be glad to tell you that I am, I am Burundian. Uh, that, is, that is who I am. And the reason why I was born in Tanzania was because I was born in a refugee camp due to, um, there was a lot of political chaos that happened between um, the, the Hutu and Tutsi, Tutsi tribe in um, Burundi and Rwanda. And that uh, created a lot, of, um, a lot of civil war and, and political unrest um, in, in, in both countries. Um, so with that, it would often be uh, we had a, we had you know a Hutu or or, or a Tutsi president, and the the majority was, was Hutu. So Hutu's thinking, why should why, why should a minority tribe be ruling us? And as you can as you, as you can guess, you know another a civil war broke out, and just that kind of went back and forth to where you know the country was deemed quite unsafe to live. So you have people fleeing to uh, neighboring countries such as uh, uh, DRC, which uh, Democratic Republic. Republic of Congo, which is what was here back in the day, uh, Uganda, you have some fleeing to Kenya and, and others like, like my family that flee, that flee to, um, to, ten, to Tanzania. So just a little bit of uh, how I ended up being in the, in the refugee camp mm. in Tanzania. That's interesting. I didn't realize it was the Hutu and the Tutsi because I think people have seen <laughs> Hotel Rwanda and, and are at least somewhat familiar with, familiar with that story. I wrote a paper on, on that in, in college, but I didn't realize it was very specific to the events of, of the movie. It was a, it was kind of a movie-ish class and that was the movie that I picked. Um, but I didn't realize that it had, that it had spread into Burundi and, and some of the, the neighboring countries. Was it, did it affect, where else, where else did it affect besides Rwanda and, and Burundi? Um, so, I mean, it's just primarily those two because uh, uh, if you know, those, those two uh, countries used to be one um, when they were known as, as, as Burundi, Rwanda. Um, that was before the Belgian came in and, and, and colonized the country. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, after 
you know, with colonizers, they went in there, show like uh, uh, providing the language French. That's how uh, Brun, uh, that's how Brun and Rwanda both speak speak French because mm. uh, the Belgian, um, and also kind of uh, put my point, put put their way of life into into those people, and to the sense where they, I guess, the the Belgian picked the Tutsi as a superior superior tribe, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that was that was gonna create tension regardless because the Tutsi were the minority. Sure. Uh, oh, and, and, and over in the who's on the majority. It's also fair to mention that there's also a, a third tribe in that in that area that was called the Twa. Um, and you know, those who are kinda or often put on the side in the, in the history books, but it's an important group of people that uh, that, that deserve recognition. Uh, so pretty much after uh Rwanda Rwanda got independence from, from the Belgian, they went ahead and separated to Burundi and then Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Um, and started their own uh, democratic elections, or, or something you want to call it, because beforehand they had they had just a king, but now it was done. Once they separated, they started their own democratic elections. Right. And that's when everything kind of uh, went down, and uh, a lot of people were killed, unfortunately. Yeah. So your parents were in were in the conflict, I guess, or not in, so to speak, but uh, it was around them. In the conflict, per se. Yeah. Um, and they went to Tanzania to to the refugee camp, right? Yes. And that's where you were born. Yes. Uh, so the camp the camp was run by UNICEF. I'm guessing. Yeah, it was it was run by by UNICEF. Okay, so what what was life like in in the camp for you? Because um, just like give give some background on on what it's like to to live in a refugee camp like that. Um, kind of how the schools are. Who runs the schools? How you how the like the living spaces were? Did you guys have enough resources, food, water, that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, life in the camp was uh, pretty much difficult, and uh, it was really there. You kind of have to hold on to something, whether you are a you know, person of faith or whatever it was. For me, I'm a Christian, so faith is all that I had in the sense that there will be some days where it would be difficult. Things that things are like 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 water, you know, wouldn't always come by. So that meant we had to walk a mile to barefoot mm. just to get clean water. Um, and that was something we did like on a, on a weekly basis per se. Right. Uh, in terms of, of school, we had to walk school again, that's a mile or two away. And, you know, for at, the, at that point, we don't really have shoes per se. So you're walking barefoot, mm-hmm. not to mention the African, you know, the African sun, the heat yeah. is beating you down. So there were some points you're running because you want to get the decision so fa- faster so that way you don't your your feet are not full of blisters. Right. In terms of life in school, in schools, um, they were it was it was as if we were back home in Burundi. So they were taught uh, by uh, Burundians and they and, and we were taught French and Kirundi. Um, the main dif- difference there it was there it wasn't you didn't have an optional failing. It was either you pass the class or you get your ass whooped. Um, in the sense that, um, let's say the teacher was like, okay, for this test, all of you have to get an A. 90, let's say 90% or higher, and that's it. Mm-hmm. If you get lower than that, you get your ass whooped. So uh, I was one, you know, I was relatively smart. So I, I often would get, would get my grades up like that. But mm-hmm. those who weren't, who, who didn't put in a grade, it means you got your ass whooped. So, that mentality of just, you know, failing wasn't an option. It was, I can, you know, pass and be safe, or I can fail and get my ass whooped. And yeah. that ass whooping, you know, didn't just happen at school. 
once you got home, your parents found out like, hey, you failed this class. What, what's up with that? That's another ass whooping. Yeah. It, it, it was safe to just, you know, study and know your shit before. Mm-hmm. Was, so the schools weren't, they were local then. They weren't ran by, they weren't ran by the camp. Um, they were they were ran by the by the camp. So the funny thing about the whole camp was, we were we, we were in Tanzania, but mm-hmm. the Tanzanian government didn't really want to do anything with us. It was like it was pretty much a little piece of Burundi in mm-hmm. Tanzania, and we were kind of secluded in that in that. We were kind of on, on our own per se, with uh, UNICEF helping us out with a lot. Um, we was providing us food and other, and other resources. They they really UNICEF was really um, what kind of helped us out. Mm-hmm. What was daily life like there, like besides school? Because you like, obviously in the United States, right? You get up and you like, you go to school and then you come home and then you either are like playing sports or video games or whatever. So obviously, it's not it's not the same. Um, did you have I, like I remember reading stories um, about different like re- refugee camps would set up their own like soccer teams and then they'd play against each other uh, and things like that. There's been drives drives here in the states to get like old soccer cleats and stuff to send to refugee camps um was there was there stuff like that at the one that you were at or, or not so much yeah there was actually and uh, my older brother um he was part of the of the team that was in in the in the area so they would um they would travel to other refugee camps and play um but oftentimes soccer was you know that's where i really learned and got to fall in love with soccer because it was we went to school around like 6 a.m ish came back around 12 mm-hmm. around 12 because you know they they didn't have food for you at school so you have to come back home and eat all right sometimes you go back to school after you ate but oftentimes they kind of switched it whether you went to school in in the mornings or in the in the afternoons mm-hmm. uh, but after 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 school you would just go home you would play soccer um just play soccer on the streets and for a cool minute uh, we there wasn't really electricity there so we we would play until until the moon was out and the moon was always you know always 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 shining there. So mm-hmm. play soccer. Um, you went home. You ate. Uh, sometimes uh, just because our parents were always you know trying to find um, just like low income jobs to get to get some to get food on the table. Mm-hmm. That meant the kids we were doing most of the cooking. We were doing most like if you had little siblings, we take care of them. So at times it would be like I can play soccer for an hour. And I have, and I need to go get water immediately. So I right. try to buy for my siblings and yeah, and I, and I. Or I play soccer for an hour. I didn't play sometimes at all. And I'll be taking care of my siblings. And mm-hmm. they were they were good. Did the did the political tension like kind of come into the camp with with the people? Like were there Hutus and Tutsis in in the same camp, or did did you see any of that at all? Or kind of once you were in the camp, it was like not. Uh, was the tension still there at all or not so much? No, the tension was, wasn't really there because at, at that point it was kind of like you, you flee this terrible thing and, you know, why, why bring it up in, in a camp where everybody's trying to reach safety and, and you know, dream a, dream, a, dream a better life. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really, the whole Tuesday thing wasn't really, it was there obviously, but it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't, nobody paid attention to it. It was kind of like, let's just go ahead and survive mm-hmm. so we can make it tomorrow. But they were mixed together, right? Hutus and Tutsis were mixed I together. I believe so, yeah. yeah I believe yeah. so. I say that because uh, the whole thing, if somebody, if somebody, if I, if I'm me and somebody else were to stand, would stand between, like, in front of you, you can tell between a Hutu or a Tutsi. But again, that's because, you know, the Belgian really, 
figure out a way to differentiate one between the other. Whether if you had lighter skin and you were taller, you were Tutsi. If you were darker, you were Hutu. But anyways, all that kind of stuff is really like you, like a normal person couldn't tell if mm-hmm. you were Hutu or Tutsi. Um, but it wasn't really a, a, a little Yeah. Well, that's good that it didn't come into the camp then. That would have been not so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you're in the camp, you're playing soccer, right? You're, you're running to, to go to school and, and get the water and, and all those different things. Mm-hmm. And you were there for, how long were you there for? I was in the camp for about nine years. Nine years. And then, so wow. your, your parents make the decision to come to the, to the United States? Uh, so, yeah, we were fortunate that like, there was an opportunity that came with, uh, for with UNICEF. Um, in 2007, 2008-ish, they decided they would send out some, some refugees to the United States. Mm-hmm. And with that entailed a whole uh, a, a process of, you know, of selection. So my parents, my parents heard about this. They were like, we obviously want to do better for our kids. We want them to um, have a future that's not as, you know, as, as like ours. They have a better future. So they, they decided to go through the process and apply for uh, resettlement in the United States. Okay. Um, yeah. So how did, how did that work? Because I remember you, we were talking before, you said it was, it was luck. So you applied, and how did, they, how did they pick you guys, I guess? Or how did the application process work? Uh, so I say it's luck because it was a very just strange process. Um, it was, they, they kind of, they asked you to, to provide documents, such as birth certificates, mm-hmm. which, you know, we were fortunate enough to, we, we had them, um, but for others at a time, it's like, you know, the last thing is on your mind is to get a birth certificate. After, let's say your child is born on the way when you're fleeing from Burundi to, to, to Tanzania. Right. Or it wasn't really a thing. So documents like that were requested. Uh, it helped a little bit that my father spoke a, a, a little bit of English. So he could mm-hmm. navigate just a little bit, a, a little bit. Um, and they just asked you, random test uh, um you could prepare for. So we saw people who were, who were relatively well off in the refugee camp, at least more wealth than others, do go, go through that same selection process and not get chosen. Mm. Just because, again, random reasons. So I say we, we were lucky and fortunate to get, uh, to, to, to get chosen to, to be to the United States. What were the tests like? Did you have to take any of them or, was, or did your parents um, just have to take them? I honestly don't recall. I remember going to te- the testing centers and I was just sitting there for a couple of hours and then leaving to go back home. I don't, um, I don't remember mm-hmm. much the test, um, at least in that, in that part, while we were in that, in that first camp. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you go through the testing, uh, you get picked, uh, mm-hmm. and then are you going straight to the, to the U S or is there another step before you go? So the other step, you go to a, to a different camp. Um, and with the, um, they really test your, I guess, your health and wellness. So if you have any, any diseases like, you know, malaria or AIDS, whatever that may be, <clears throat> those kind of diseases kind of prolong, prolong the process of you going. Uh, mm-hmm. So some people will be in the camp, the other camp for like a month and will go ahead and go. Others will be there for years just because it's the process, um, depending on how the process or how their health was uh, and wellness was. So also in that camp, they, t- they taught you a little bit about the United States, a little bit of English, a little bit of things, how to kind of get you accumulated to the United States. That was mm-hmm. kind of the next process from there. Was that camp similar to the first one in terms of living conditions? <laughs> um, a little bit, but I would say it was a, a, you were a bit better off because they provide you with housing. Um, and then also they, 
they have our programs that that, that would uh, care, care to your needs of, of food and other resources. Um, so okay. Much was all, better. That was also UNICEF as well? Yes, it was UNICEF. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense that they're testing for all the, the, the diseases and stuff, right? They don't want um, in that partnership, I guess, that the U.S. has with UNICEF as far as bringing the refugees in. They don't want to bring unnecessary diseases, right? We saw that kind of with, with COVID. I know it's not the same, but it's similar enough to where you wouldn't want that in your own, in your own country. So that makes sense why they would do that. The testing as well. I know, I know it seems like to you, it seems random and like, and obviously without more details, I don't, don't really have the, the room to say one way or the other, but it would make sense that they would want people with, um, some sort of skill set. You don't just want to let whoever in, I guess, because I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one, right? Cause obviously you want to help as many people as possible, but at the same time, it's like, you want to better, um, you want to like better and improve your own, your own country. So like people who will add something to society, you know? So I guess it, it makes sense a little bit. Um, Obviously, it's difficult if you're in that situation. I don't don't wish that on anyone, but I guess that kind of makes sense. Okay, so you go through the second camp, right? And, and you're there and you're getting tested for health. And okay, you get the thumbs up. You have no diseases that, that are going that are going <laughs> yeah. that you're going to take to the U.S. and and they've determined that you're good to go. So yeah. you fly, fly. Yeah, we fly. Yes, you fly to to the U.S. and how did you end up in um, in Virginia? Like, did everybody in your group end up in, or were you in a group first of all? And then, but did everyone end up in Virginia, or how did that how did that kind of work? So yeah, so we were in a group. As a few of us kind of went at the same time. Um, but in terms of the United States, we there we didn't we didn't know about the states or regions. We just like the United States is just just one big one big pot. So mm -hmm. when we got chosen to go, we got placed in Virginia. Well, like we didn't, even, we didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. you know, for us, as long as in the United States was all good, we didn't even care where, where it was, where, yeah. like what state we were in. Um, but others got placed in Texas, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, just different places. Um, so once we arrived um, in DC, we were, we were welcomed by um, by uh, uh, the Catholic Diocese, which is an NGO, as well as uh, uh, a local church, actually in Ferguson, downtown, actually here. Mm -hmm. um, and they kind of took care of us for the first couple months so what so they welcome you right do they give you housing how, how does what is their kind of role in getting you guys acclimated how did they help you guys so they gave us housing for, uh, a house to rent for the first couple months they help us out with uh at least the parents with uh job searching getting them jobs sometimes teaching them how to drive um teaching the english language a little bit here and there mm -hmm. and also offering touring lessons for those who, who are still in school Mm. So once you got into the United States, was the immigration process kind of done for you guys, or did you still have to go through some paperwork and, and logistical type type things? Um, so it wasn't fully done because um, they were asking us to provide all these documentation, such as you know, uh, just I mean, like you know, kind of like like prove who you are as an individual. Um, mm -hmm. Which again, we don't we didn't really have those IDs, right? For some birth certificates one that thing like some people um didn't know how old they were they came to the united states right. that's because like i said before there was like boom you were born cool welcome to the world you know if you were born especially on the way people were parents were, parents were fleeing one came to another 
they didn't care. Sometimes you were born like in your own home or on the road, on the way. Mm-hmm. So birth certificates wasn't really a thing. So he were, were really asked those kind of questions and, and asked for all those kind of information. So that way we could um, get either whether it was your green car, citizenship or whatever it was. So we can, we can move on with those kind of classes. So are, are you are you a citizen now? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a citizen. So what, so we're going to get back to your sort of timeline in, in a minute, but yeah. what was, actually, let's get to the citizen stuff later. Let's keep going. So you guys, you guys are there um, and they're helping your parents out, find jo- like with job searching and teaching them how to drive. Mm-hmm. So what was the transition like for you culturally? And then also for your parents, like, do you remember, do you recall kind of how your parents were feeling um, when they were there? Or not so much. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of my parents, they were very um, obviously glad to be here because it was an opportunity that I said you got lucky just because you didn't know how it was gonna go. Mm-hmm. So they were happy to be here. Um, they were to this day they're still I guess transitioning to the to the language as well as as a culture, um, just because they're they came here when, they came here when they were older now. So. Language doesn't come to you as easily when you're like 40, 50 years old. Right. Most where you're, you know, 10, 20, 20 years old, it doesn't come to you easily. So they're still adjusting to that. As, as, as for me, um, I really relied on um, interactions with school and I, like school, like school like students and other, and other, and other p- teachers, mm-hmm. as well as uh, shows like SpongeBob uh, to, learn, uh, to learn English. Uh, so just, you know, those kind of things. Uh, I thought English language wasn't, it wasn't really that hard uh, to learn. Mm-hmm. I was still learning in a, in a probably probably less than a year, at least mm-hmm. to communicate with somebody to carry a conversation. Um, the language for me got difficult when, like you know, I was you know in middle school because mm-hmm. then grammar, even to this day, I never really learned that, so I still struggle with. Um, yeah, I mean grammar. grammar. Grammar in English is hard. I mean people people who are were born here still have no idea half the time. It's like people still mix up their two, two and twos and they're there, there and theirs and they're mm-hmm. less and fewer and I before E except after C unless it's rhymes with neighbor and way and all these like weird like so grammar just sayings. Lost me right just lost me right there. I didn't even yeah. myself. Yeah, well. like the only reason I know that's a rule is because a comedian made a joke about how ridiculous the English, the English language <laughs> is. So like <laughs> I didn't even know the rule. So yeah, definitely the grammar is a is a tough one. I, yeah. Learning that after not knowing English. So I tell people, or I, in my opinion, the, the base of the English language, as far as being able to carry a conversation, mm-hmm. um, isn't, doesn't seem to be super difficult, like you said, but people like to learn it, to learn it to the full extent. I was, I think it's probably one of the most difficult languages in, in the world, in the Western world anyways, to learn, mm-hmm. um, just because of all the random rules. But was was the were the schools welcoming to you? Like, did you feel welcomed in in the school? Like, I, obviously, it was probably a difficult transition, right? You don't know much English, and and mm-hmm. the culture is new, and and all this other stuff. But generally, were were the schools pretty welcoming? Yeah, um, the schools were very welcoming. At least at least during that time. I think um, now I can say, okay, this part they messed up. It's because you know when you're in a new area, if you don't understand the language, people are making fun of you or doing those kind of things to you you don't really care because you don't understand them. Yeah. As I look back, I'm kind of like, dang, they were doing this to me. They were doing this to me. So, but uh, at the time, I say school, schools were relatively um, friendly mm-hmm. and helpful for me. And the, and the area as well, like when you would go, like when you'd leave home and you would like play soccer with, with 
like yeah. the general, just like, did you feel like when you got to the U S did you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm good here. I'm, I can be American now or like, I'm, I feel welcome here. Yeah. yeah I felt, I felt that it, it wasn't, um, I said it wasn't at that, at that point, it wasn't too bad just because, you know, you just, you know, you know, for me, I knew thing, I knew soccer mm-hmm. and you know, it doesn't matter what language you speak at that point. Everybody That's can pass. You can, you can play, you can play. Who cares yeah. what language you speak? Um, I didn't speak the language, but so I was, you know, I was cool. I was cool. Yeah. That's good. So how, how long did it take for you, do you think, to fully kind of transition in, into, into American society and feel comfortable, uh, like normal, I guess? Um, I would say a little bit after seventh, seventh grade. So I came here, I was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. After seventh grade, I was, I guess, normal. I started doing things. Uh, for example, I joined my first uh, travel soccer team mm-hmm. in eighth grade and kind of started traveling here and there. Um, you know, always picking up things, uh, always, always, like, you know, learning, learning new, th- new things. Um, but I mean, that's when I kind of figured out that I could navigate the United States a, a, a little bit. Yeah. So now I want to get into the citizenship part a little bit. Yeah. So for those who don't know, like myself, what does that entail to become a, to become a U.S. citizen? Like for you. So like, what did, what, like, what sort of, um, like application things that you have to go to. I know everybody knows the the citizenship test or whatever, but what sort of things did you have to go through application wise, interview wise, testing wise, um, that sort of stuff? Uh, so with that, um, I don't really know too much because like uh, I didn't, my parents kind of, you know, once your parents pass the test, mm-hmm. then all of you, if you're under 18, you're good. So I was under 18. Oh, so okay. test, good. But there were passes for them. I said, they didn't pick up the language, know the culture as quick as we did because we had school and we had, you know, where we're going out and we're watching, watching cartoons and whatnot. So yeah. we were good on that end. For them, it was difficult because they had to be in a class, one, to learn English, and two, it was, they spent a, a cool, like a whole semester just practicing for the test. I'm talking, like they had like this uh, CD in the car that would play for three months asking them questions. What's the United States? What's the conclusion? What is the preamble? Mm-hmm. All those things. And for somebody who, one, doesn't speak the English language, understand the culture, mm-hmm. and now they'll have to learn U.S. history, it's not really an, an, an easy fit. And not to mention that they were still trying to you know, work in low-income jobs to get their, get, get their, get their families, you know, afloat. So... Mm-hmm. That's how I, how I kind of saw in terms of uh, my parent, my parents' process. And likely, likely for, for me and my, my brothers, they passed. So we were, mm-hmm. we were good to go. Was, the te- was, it super, was it like super heavily based in history, the, the test was? Um, <clears throat> yes, but I think for me personally, like if I took the test when I, when I was in ninth grade, I could have passed it. Yeah. Because it was a simple civics and u.s history so things you learn in middle school mm-hmm. things that that they kind of ask you like so it's not too oh, much okay. mm-hmm. i would say but then again you know when you or a parent have all those things to take care of um it doesn't come as easy yeah definitely not yeah luckily for luckily for you guys they, they passed and that's super that's awesome to hear because i know for you uh being at umw the work you did, you you did work in the multicultural center, right? And yeah. in some of the other places, I know a lot of the work that you did was um, 
I feel like every other, every month I see a new article, Nehemiah <laughs> wins this award. Nehemiah does that thing. So it's definitely good that, that you got here. You made definitely an impact on, on a lot of people, I think uh, probably more than you realize. Um, but so you won the, the grace man award. Yeah. Uh, when you grad, when you graduated from UMW, congratulations on, on both of those things. It's fantastic achievement. So what, what is the grace man award for? Um, and yeah, we'll start with that. What's, what's the award for? Um, so it's pretty much for an individual who's, uh, a champion, a champion of social justice. Um, and it's really, um, uh, it's really an ambassador for the underrepresented, uh, unrepresented population over UMW. Mm-hmm. Um, person who was, you know, uh, leading uh, different clubs and really uh, being the voice of change uh, for those who didn't have a voice at, at the university. So what? What was the? So was it just um, like a, a board of like faculty or whatever who who picked that? Or did you? Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So it was a uh, also a board uh, headed by uh, by Dean Rucker and a few and a few others. Mm, okay. Um, that just got, that that picks a, a few um, individuals. So. Uh, I, want, I want to give a shout out to Jason Ford. He was also an, an, an nominee. Uh, like I said, he did, he did great work uh, for, the, for the university. Uh, but yeah, I was, just, I was fortunate to get it just because of my work I've been doing in terms of uh, um, really one, I think one that did in W was educate people in terms of, of, of Africa because there's so many myths that people have of Africa, which are really not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, um, you know, being a person who was, uh, not shy to speak on uh, social justice issues that, that arose in, in where it was in the country or just even the campus itself. I was, I was definitely a, a champion of that. Yeah, there was, yeah, I heard a lot about it from, from Jason as well. We had Jason on the podcast earlier. He was episode two, I think maybe mm-hmm. three, two or three. I don't remember. I should remember. We're still on single digits. <laughs> no, we're double digits now because of you. Double digits. Yes. But sir. yeah, shout out to Jason for sure. But, mm-hmm. um, so what, so, and, and like you were talking about the, the myths of Africa and you were kind of championing um, the correct, I guess, information to, to go out the misconceptions, right, that you wanted to, to sort of debunk. I know mm-hmm. I hear a lot of them in my, in my daily life. I think that's why I was so grateful for my trip to South Africa to be able to kind of understand the differences and understand some of the culture. Like we were able to... Um, some of the some of the trips people take are very watered watered down. This one wasn't like the the company that uh, booked basically booked the trip for us. So I went with my grandparents. They have uh, this deal, I guess, with people that live in some of these communities that um, the company can show the tourists how they live. They they welcome them into into their homes. Like we went into somebody's home for a dinner. Ate with a ate, like ate with a family, and they had every everybody in the group eat with a different family. So we got to go experience uh, the sort of culture, and even just throughout South Africa, you notice how they how it differs from region to region within its own country. So um, after that experience, it kind of irked me when I hear people be like, "Oh, Africa is this?" I'm like, well, no, it's not because Cote d'Ivoire is different from Egypt. It's different from South Africa. It's different mm-hmm. from like even just in Burundi and, and Rwanda, there's two two totally different tribes tribes there. Um, and so do you want to go into kind of what what's the sort of work you were doing and some examples, some stories maybe? Yeah, uh, so one thing that people, you know, often get wrong is like um, they refer to Africa as a, 
as if it's like one one country or one whatever mm-hmm. when africa is 54 countries so say africa as a whole continent mm-hmm. and you know like you mentioned before nigeria egypt south africa all completely different and and even within each country there are so many tribes for example um ethiopia alone has a little over 80 tribes mm-hmm. in just one country so it is very diverse and very different um, so that's, that's really one that kind of irritates me a little bit. The other one is really people see Africa as, you know, as poor as in refugee camps. I mean, yeah, there is that, but also, there's also that a little bit. The poor, poor is everywhere, everywhere you go, even in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Africa, you know, there is the poorest, the poor, all, all there. But there's also some very well-off rich people. For example, Definitely. you go to Nigeria, they have some oil money, they have different things. And, you know, it's not that you see it's all poor and all those kind of things. Well, it is, but also it depends on where you go. Mm-hmm. So different regions, or different regions that are very developed or even technological, technologically ad- ad- advanced. So um, that's kind of one thing. It's kind of like, you know, we're so poor. Like, no, no, it's, it depends where you go. It's like when you see the United States, yeah, they're well off, but then again, it depends yeah. on which neighborhood, on which neighborhoods you're in. So right, exactly. Um, another one I would say when people say, you know, they have a pet lion or a pet giraffe, I'm like, you have a pet lion, you have a pet giraffe? No, I don't. It sounds silly because I, I don't. This is not like, you know, yeah, this is not some movie where I have a pet lion just laying in your backyard. Like, no. Has I, somebody asked you that before? Um, jokingly, I've heard a few. Yeah, I've heard, you know, <laughs> a pet lion or or even I want to get uh, the, 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 the click that I'm oh. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I mean, imagine the 54 countries. Let's say in Ethiopia, there is 80 tribes. Yeah. Those 80 tribes probably speak a different language. So with that respect, think about a whole 54, 54 countries. So I've heard that one. And to those that do the, the joke, you're mm-hmm. listening, um, that's actually a language. That's a language in, in South Africa. That's, that's Hosa that's in, that's in South, South Africa. Yeah, and I, heard it, I heard it spoken when I was there. Yeah, of course, of course you have. Yeah, that's, it's spoken there. But that's South Africa, and that's a specific tri- tribe. I speak Kirundi. I speak Swahili. Um, mm. you know, they speak French. They speak Portuguese. Um, so they speak Arabic. There's just so many languages. That yeah. are, Even in South Africa alone, there's Africans. They speak Dutch, Africans. English, uh, the language that you just mentioned. Yeah. It's like I, I heard, I think, eight different languages in 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 the space of like three weeks when I was there, yeah. eight or nine different languages. And to, to your point about people being poor or well off, you see that in Johannesburg as well. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really stark. You go from soccer city where the world cup final was played in Johannesburg. Yeah. And there's like a big banking center in downtown. And then you go five blocks away and people are living in like tinfoil huts with, without roofs. Mm-hmm. And, and it's totally different. Yeah. Like I said, so that's something that I was really, um, just trying to push um and uh i think people people, people should see africa in a different light um they're all smart and, and uh, you know they're smart individuals you know mm-hmm. some dumb people but it's everywhere like i said so it's not really africa is not as different as you may think mm-hmm. um, a lot of things that you have in the united states you have them there but but the whole continent you know speaking the whole continent just very um it's very like i would say it's like the poor when i mean poor there was the poor the poor right and then there's the opposite also 
So I think it's fair, it's fair to mention that. Yeah, to your point about it not being that different, it's like, yeah, culturally it's a little bit different, but yeah, that was it. there and we got to walk in the street. I would just talk to random people and that, the ones that spoke English anyways, um, and they weren't that different at the end of the day. I would just like, I was, in a, I was in a bar there with like two of the guys that were traveling with us and we were just talking to like some of the locals about soccer and just life in general. And it's not, it's not so different to be honest, because at the end of the day, right, every, like we're all human, we all like different things. So like the, some of the different areas, like we went into a, a Zulu village um, and they're still living how like in the tribal sense with like tents and like the, the loincloths and like that sort of thing. There's a picture uh, on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. The Zulu tribesman has my Nike hat on and he, give, uh -huh. he gives me his hat and we switched yeah, um, took the, and took the picture, but like I like I stay. I talk to them too, and it's like even though you would think as as far away as lifestyles that that is, you could still have a conversation with them. Um, and it's it was really cool. It was a really good experience. And so again, like for me to come talk to you and to to hear that sort of stuff, uh, I think it's good for for the like people to know it makes makes you more well-rounded to experience different cultures that's why like in our friend group at, at umw i was really like uh you and yoel and and carlos and that whole group i'd hear like four languages spoken in a day <laughs> and it was it was really good it was yeah. really like i learned a ton from you guys um just about different cultures and, and stuff so um what sort of platforms did you have to kind of do this to kind of do the, the work that you're talking about um, so one platform that I had, um, I am so one. So I co-founded a, a, a community organization um, in Ferguson here, where I kind of help uh, a Burundian individuals kind of see what life like is like after high school. Mm -hmm. So with that, um, that organization, I would we would often perform IMW uh, at events, whether it was multicultural fair or other events led by the James Farmer Multicultural Center. Mm -hmm. So we would often sing. Um, in our native language or um, sing and dance and, and we would wear our, our, our culture, like our, our clothes. Um, so that was kind of show off, you know, showcase, like, you know, there was the Africa that you, that you see on television. Mm -hmm. And you know, that part, there's some parts that are there, but it's also the Africa that, that you don't see on television, which is, you know, the, the diverse, the culture and the beauty, they, you know, you, know, you, you can tell an, Af an African by what they wear. Mm -hmm. You know, you, there were just so many patterns, so many colors, so many, there's just so many, um, so many things that comes with being African that uh, we are all so different. So that's one part, the platform I, I used. Um, as a, and also in my role as an, as an RA, I made sure to really educate individuals, whether it was my bulletin boards or whenever I had, um, I had meetings, I make sure like, hey, um, this is how it is. And this is, you know, let me educate you a little bit about Africa. Let me tell you about how many languages are spoken there. Let me tell you about how, uh, many countries are there. Um, so those kind of platforms I, I would use. And I would often partner up with the uh, African Student Union, mm -hmm. uh, Res Life, or even uh, the JFMC, uh, the Multicultural Center, to form, form programs that were um, um, kind of debunking those, those, those issues. And in terms of my other works that I did in, on that on the, on the kind of platform, is that I, I often help, help programs that would kind of educate uh, first-generation students on how to really navigate UMW. So um, how to do it in a social sense, financial sense, mm -hmm. or even academic sense. How can you prosper here at, at this university, even though you are a, a minority? 
So mm-hmm. I, I worked a lot with the, with the University Multicultural Center to really form programs that were beneficial to students and um, making sure that I was a resource where students felt comfortable talking to me about issues that I may be facing and that they felt like they had a, a home in a sense, a UMW, um, where they could express their feelings and, and just have fun and get to feed them. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think especially in the, in like, we, when I was talking to another one of our friends, uh, Wayne, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, he, he mentioned that like becoming friends with like me and you and, and other people helped him he, cause he was first generation as well. Um, he came from Vietnam. We'll try and get him on the podcast at some point, but, uh, he, the, the, the people that were around make such a big impact on the first, like the first generation people that are, that are there because they help, they don't, what am I trying to say? We bring in, or we try to anyways, bring an environment where you can ask a question about, Hey, I, I heard somebody say this thing. What does it mean? Like, what does the slang term mean? Or like help them along socially uh, in, in a way that they wouldn't get otherwise. And being in, I think our, the soccer, the club soccer team, I think we did a really good job of that. Um, I don't know if you agree or not, but I think we did a really good job of that because we had a lot of first generation students that played with, that played with us. Yeah. And to have that group um, and even some of the exchange guys, like you remember Michael from yeah, yeah, Michael. Yeah. So like we had a very diverse group and we, it was all, it was really welcoming. And I think, um, I can't speak for everybody, um, but I think the people that have talked to me were like, yeah, that was really helpful to have that group kind of welcome welcome me and, and show me how to kind of navigate UMW from, from a social perspective. Obviously, we didn't really talk about the finances in, within the soccer team, but yeah. for you to set up a group, like a, a group or a foundation to do that is really, really helpful, I think. It, the work that the work that that would entail um it people take it beyond just umw you know um like i haven't seen wayne and wayne in a while but they take it beyond right it's like the the transition helping helping that transition become easier helps them go forward in life like even just past past university helps them with with jobs remember like I'm kind of rambling at this point, but basically, no, no, basically, I mean, yeah, yeah. basically what I'm trying to say is like, that's, that's really great work. I think the, the impact that that makes on people will go, it will go way beyond just university itself and into, into the job market and, and into life in general. Um, and it helps people become more well-rounded, right? They get, um, which I think is really important, especially now. Um, everyone is kind of right. America is the melting pot of, of all sorts of different people. The more different types of people you get exposed to, the more understanding you'll be, the more empathetic you'll be of different people's um, decisions, why, why they think the way they do the, their experiences, where they came from, why they don't know this, so this American cultural thing that mm-hmm. you, you would think you just know. I've noticed that with myself, I'll, I'll, I'll meet people who um, maybe don't pick up a certain social cue or something like that. And it's made me way more understanding because I'm like, well, they might not have just known, they might be first generation, they might be this or that. And when I see other people who don't have that same level of understanding and they get upset, like, oh, this person missed this social cue or whatever. 
I'm like, no, you don't know what they went through to get yeah. here. Um, and so I think it's really important uh, for that sort of work to be done within the foundation like you're doing, but with outside of it as well, like in the soccer team or in just friend groups, mm-hmm. you know? No, I think it's, you got a good point there. So uh, in terms of like, uh, let's say like slangs or things that, or uh, there's cultural, cultural relevant in the United States. I, for example, sarcasm, I didn't pick that up until, I don't know, ninth grade. Yeah. Just because like, I would take it seriously. I'm kind of like, oh, they don't actually want me to jump off the bridge. Ah, okay, let me go ahead and not jump off a bridge. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, slang. Because, you mm-hmm. know, uh, with slang, if you haven't been here long enough, or if you're not like hip, I guess, mm-hmm. you're not going to know my thing. So it, it took me a while to be hip and know well, like, you know, what this means. Like, you know, you know, for me, let's just say um, the word bet. Like, oh, bet. Mm-hmm. No, I think of like, oh, what am, I, what am I betting on? But when this means like, oh, we're like, you know, it's cool. Like, it's whatever. So it's those kind of things that that may seem simple when talking to somebody who is your age in the United States. But when you come from a different culture, it's not simple because you're just, again, you're trying to learn what that word actually means. And then it can be used so differently. So kind of like, okay, does this mean, what does it mean? What does it mean here? Are they joking? Are they being sarcastic? It's a, it's a whole like it's a whole different thing that um, you won't think about it unless you were in uh, I guess a foreigner's shoes, if you will. Yeah, and it, it made me have to think about it because I would have people text me like I remember um, like I was at I was I was at the UC with some of our teammates, and somebody said, "Oh, like, hey, I'll see you. I'll see you later." And somebody said, "Was like, oh, bet." And we walked away and Wayne was like, what does that mean? And I, and I remember like, I was already kind of aware, but as that kept happening, I was like, it made me super aware of, of the fact that not everybody picks up on that stuff and not everybody knows if they're not familiar with the culture. And so to be, to be able to be that person for somebody like Wayne or, or you or forever or whoever to like somebody text me and like, Hey, what does this mean? Like, I don't know. It, it gives it gives a new perspective. Um, another one of my teammates was on. <laughs> he was on Tinder, and a girl messaged him something, and he sent me a screenshot. He's like, "I don't know what this means," uh-huh. and I was like, "Huh, I don't actually either. Let me look it up on Urban Dictionary." <laughs> I was like, "Let me look it up on Urban Dictionary, and I'll, I'll and I'll tell you." But yeah. it just goes to show, like. It's to be understanding of a person that doesn't know, like, because kids can be mean, man, especially yeah. in middle school and high school. Like, oh. if you don't know what something means, they're like, ha ha, you don't know what that means. Like, to be able to be that person that's like, here, yeah. come here, I'll tell you what it means. And then you, and then you can know. It's like, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird part of, of life, I guess. Yeah, and I was but, fortunate. I was fortunate to have people around me that were, you know, that were like, hey, because for me, I asked a lot of questions. Cause I, you know, I'm like, if I don't know, I'm going to ask questions. Mm-hmm. So I would like wait whenever the thing they bent past and be like, hey, what did they mean by that? What does this mean? How do you, mm-hmm. how do, you do this? Just because, like, you know, you honestly don't know. And uh, I'll, people are not really the most patient when explaining things. So Yeah, exactly. It's a bit difficult with that. Yeah. No, it's really good that you that you ask, though, because I know people that won't ask either. Um, and so it's, it's good. So for anyone listening who uh, finds themselves in a situation like this, either on the side that you don't know, or the side that somebody's asking you, 
-hmm. one ask the question for sure because because you're going to find people like you or like me or whoever who's more than willing to answer the question Mm -hmm. and then if you're on the other side be patient with them you know like people don't know like cultural culture is a very strange thing to to Mm -hmm. become accustomed to if you haven't gone and visited other places you don't know all the things that you take for granted that that you just do that somebody else might not know because they didn't grow up in the same culture. So be patient, man. There's, I think we need more of that in general in society. Patience, right? People, people understanding that people come from different places and Mm -hmm. which is, I somehow I always get back to this, but that's one of the points of the podcast, right? It's like Mm -hmm. learning that people come from different places and have different experiences and then wanting to share those with people. Um, That's a great point. I think. Yeah. So, all right. Um, okay. So now you won the Grace Man Award. Going mm-hmm. back to the Nehemiah timeline, you won the Grace Man Award, mm-hmm. and you've picked up a job with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, what was your kind of drive in, in getting that sort of job, and what do you hope to like? What What is your kind of interest with that? I think I know we talked about like foreign investment and in, into Africa and things like that. So you want to kind of try and walk us through kind of what you hope to accomplish there, how kind of the foreign investment in Africa works and, and what your drive is with that? Um, yeah. So with that, um, I started a job, you know, a little over two weeks ago. And so my job is to really um, be like, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fellow. So I mean, I do research and other logistical things uh, for the Africa team, which pretty much is to do uh, business and investment in Africa. So while, while the department does, uh, we encourage businesses to be up to be to join our membership and we help them with uh, getting them acquainted with uh, heads of states or presidents or ambassadors in that country. So that way they can ask them questions on how to like uh, better invest their money in all their businesses in, 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 that, in that country. And that, you know, that really sits well with me because uh, one of the biggest issues that I've seen with uh, many uh many organizations that, that give aid is that they often say, we'll give you all this stuff, but we'll also take, let's say you have gold, we'll take your gold. So it's like, yeah, you're helping them, but at the same time, taking, taking away our resources from them, as mm-hmm. opposed to what the chamber does is really like, you know, let's find, let's find companies that will invest in a particular area to help that economy, you know, grow and help local organizations, you know, give them jobs mm-hmm. um, and let's help the growth of that whole entire, entire, entire nation. So really, it really sits well, well, well with me because, you know, um, I believe that, um, you know, there is so much that, so much for Africa, the whole continent itself. And so I, different, different nations that they can now go ahead, you know, instead of just, you know, simply giving aid, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, that, that thing was like, you know, you can teach a man how to, how to fish, you feel for, for a lifetime. You know, yeah. If you give me the fish, yeah, it's cool, but it's going to run out. Teach me how to fish, I'll, I'll be good for a lifetime. Right. So you can give me my aid and the aid it'll run out, but you can, if you invest in me and help me how to create business in that country, then I'll, 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 I'll be set. And I think that's really what drove me to uh, join that team. Is, does it look promising to you? Do you think uh, that you guys will find some success or have they already had some success doing that? Yeah, they have had some, some success doing that. We have, uh, we are very heavy in uh, markets in South Africa, mm-hmm. um, heavy in Nigeria, Currently, uh, Kenya, we're very mm-hmm. heavy on, and we're just really just trying to uh, formulate a bunch of uh, free trade agreements uh, within these organizations. So that way, within the U.S. and the country, so that way there is more um, 
business that's, that, that is happening back and forth, rather than, rather than the, the US or, or other countries um, sending aid um, to that specific area. Is that what you'd rather have as far as if, if you'd rather have uh, the investment in that way than just aid, than just dollars? Yes. Uh, yeah. I think the investment goes a long way. And, you know, the aid is good for the short term mm -hmm. crisis, but uh, the investment and, you know, the business aspect in that country will help them go out a long way once, once, once the aid runs out. Definitely. So if you are president of the United States mm -hmm. and you have a magic wand, Okay. What's like two or three things that, that you would do to help um, some of the African countries? Like what's some policy, I guess, that, that you would put in place? Uh, that is a great question. Uh, but I think it starts with the root of uh, acknowledging, that means wholeheartedly acknowledging that Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's, where, that's where it, it really starts. So fixing up the justice system and making sure that those who need a trial get, get, get a trial, you know, there's a fair, there's a fair, there's a fair trial. And again, you know, that's things that I want to fix up in the United States before I do anything, because uh, in Africa, there's a, a whole lot of black people, different shades, of course, but yeah. black. So I can't do business with black people in Africa when I'm not taking care of them here in the United States. Mm -hmm. So that's, I guess, one thing I, I would really focus on, on, on doing. And then, so beyond that, really educate people on Africa. Just you know, again, there was changing up the media narrative of how Africa is portrayed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, portrayed portray as a place where business can be done and uh, a place that's not as, as poor as, as, the old, as it is already portrayed in, in, in the media. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also something I would do is, um, I encourage people to really go visit Africa like, like, I mean, you will know because you, you have been South Africa. So just, I'm honest, there's so many things you could pick up. Um, and people here in the United States, like, I feel like, you know, are more concerned about visiting, let's say, Florida, New York, California, mm -hmm. than going, side, go, going outside the country. Mm -hmm. and, I, and for me personally, I don't think you, you can have a global perspective unless you get global, you go outside the United States. Because that will, that will, like, you know, in, unless you see the poorest of the poor, then you you really can't understand. You really can't understand what right. it's like what it's to feel like. So mm -hmm. I think encouraging uh, visits between people going 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 back to Africa would be a, a point that would that would push forward as well. Yeah, definitely. I think the the going global thing is a really good point, and that's what the soccer team we tried. We had our mini go global a little bit almost. Yeah. We had people from Africa, people from uh, South and Latin America, we had people from Europe, uh, people from from Asia. We had, we had everyone almost. Yeah. So yeah, a good time. yeah, definitely. I think those are all really good points um, to make, right? We don't want to meddle and get involved and super involved in other people's issues if we can't even solve our own problems. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a very good point. I think one that needs to be, should be considered strongly. So hopefully we make some progress with that mm -hmm. at some point, um, whether or not it will happen, who knows? But I think, I think culturally though, um, from the standpoint of we've come, we've come a long way, I think as a, as a country, I know, I know the United States has its flaws, obviously. I'm not, not going to sit here and say the United States is perfect, but, mm -hmm. um, in, in 
people say it's, it's been a hundred years since, since this thing or that thing, but also like in the same time to change, to change a culture as much as the United States culture has changed in the last, since, since slavery to get something like that out of, out of a system, it takes time. Gener new generations have to have to come and have to, because the people that still were familiar with the old generations are, are alive, especially from like the civil rights act of the sixties, like those people are still around. Mm -hmm. And so it takes time. It takes new generations to, to, of like, to build like the, the tolerance, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. because the people that were fighting against segregation uh desegregation back in the 60s are, are still around a lot of them um and so we're only a generation or two removed and so i think you see going forward the next the generation after us and the one after them i think we'll see more and more progress uh turn in, in terms of the, the black lives matter and, and the racial equality that we would all like to see Obviously, we'd all like to see it now, for sure, right? But I think we're going. I think we're going in a good direction. I don't. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, we're going in a direction. Um, I think it could be faster, and I think um, just young people need to go out and vote. I think that's mm -hmm. something that we haven't done too well in the past couple of years. Go out, simply go out and vote because your your vote matters, you know. And uh, I mean, November can only tell um what's coming what's coming next so yeah uh, i just leave it there let's go 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 out go out and vote yeah. and um it's november we'll yeah definitely out. do your research go out and yes. vote your research think this is a this is a good spot to end but yeah like like you said do your research go out and vote uh do you have any last last tidbits uh places we can find your foundations or or anything like that yes yeah, so um <clears throat> one i want to thank you for having me it's been uh, it's wonderful having this conversation for sure. um, go ahead and follow my organization on uh, um, IG. It's Ubumwe. Um, I'm sure I'll share with that with you another way. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we'll put that in the description. We'll put the link to it in the do, description. Please do. Uh, we're all taking donations. Have you know a little here and there. Um, that would be great. We do we do things like you know resume resume workshops. We give out uh, free school supplies to members, and um, we help. We do, we do a bunch of other other um, other cultural relevant things. So if you have, if you have a dollar or two, please donate. Um, that could be helpful. Um, and Black Lives Matter and go out and vote. Yep. Sounds good. We'll end it there. Bye, everybody.